Welcome to Dice Changers, a podcast where we cover topics related to Dungeons and Dragons in the greater TTRPG space. I'm your host, Aaron, and today we're joined by streamer, content creator, and daddy dungeon master of InSave, Commune DM. Thank you so much for being on my podcast, Alec, and thank you for making me say that. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I'm, I'm happy to be here, and it was an honor and a privilege to hear you call me that. I uh, appreciate you <laughs> on such a level with that. Um, oh, with that, Daddy Dungeon Master, can you go ahead and tell people where on the internet they can find you and kind of who you are? Hi, everybody. My name is Alec, also known as Community DM. My pronouns are he, him, and you can find me all places on the internet under the name community m uh, i do all sorts of ttrpg uh adjacent things uh, some really funny hot takes on twitter and uh, i am the dungeon master of intelligence save a fifth edition homebrew campaign set in my world of aosha on twitch.tv forward slash community m so those are the places on the internet you can find me i i do a lot of ttrpg stuff oh and i play balder metzk every saturday over at uh, twitch.tv forward slash welcome in on conundrum company Oh, I'm so glad you threw out the welcome in. I've had all of the uh, innkeepers on the podcast now, and yep. they, just like you, have taken time out of their busy days to come and be on my podcast, which I really, really, really appreciate. We love the innkeepers, we love the inn, and we love this goddamn podcast. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Well, speaking of the podcast, uh, yes. you came to me with a topic today. Um, I'm I really think. excited about this topic. Can you tell me a little bit about what we're talking about today? Yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to come in here, and I wanted to uh, sort of discuss the the opposite side of the coin what makes our heroes heroes i wanted to talk about some villains and some villainous themes today my dude wanted to dive into the bad guys so we're talking about bad guys when you talk about villains are you talking about so there's a lot of different aspects to look at this from are you talking about like the full world in its relation to the villain kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of maybe what a villain looks like uh how the villain interacts with the party do you have any specifics on that or are you like wanting to push into one of those topics everything i want to talk about everything villain i want to talk how villains interact with the world i want to talk how they interact with the party as a group dynamic how they interact with player to player dynamic i want to talk about it all all right hell yeah let's get into it where do you want to start with our audience kind of introducing them to villains and villainous themes i want to start by asking you a question yes who are some of your favorite villains Oh, favorite villains. That is a huge question. I think mm, if I were to look at some of my favorite villains that are semi-relatable, I mean, I think obviously everybody who grew up in the internet age with the kind of resurrection of Marvel and everything, the MCU yeah. Thanos is a great place to look at. Wow. Um, there's also like very other notable non-MCU villains uh, from like other comic lines like in um, DC. Maybe not the film version of them, uh, but there's some there's some <laughs> there's some yeah. great DC villains. Uh, I don't know. I think let's start there. I think Thanos is my is my probably start answer. OK, that's a good one. I really like that one. I'm going to go a little more art house. OK, Anton Chigurh from okay. No Country for Old Men. Oh, okay. Yes, great He's villain. He's fucking terrifying. Okay, if we're going, if we're going like more like relatable, yeah. uh, Hasland, uh, Hans Landa, uh, From, and Glorious yeah, Bastards. Glorious Bastards. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's that's another great one. I look at I look at stuff like uh, villains like that. Villains that are so deeply human and inhuman at the same time where you can see the aspects of humanity and kind of look into them and see where they've fractured and shattered and how they've shifted from the more heroic protagonistic side of things. Okay, okay. You like a good complex villain. Maybe not I, somebody who's just like Saturday morning cartoon evil. Yeah, I'm not looking for a Hans Gruber. You know what I mean? He's, he's yeah. just a bad guy. 
Yeah, he's know? just he's just bad. He's just bad. But like when you when you look at a villain and you can both um when you see a villain and when you can understand where they're coming from and still want them to stop, I think that's an interesting villain dynamic. Okay, okay. I think when you're able to see something and be like, this is evil, given the right circumstances, I would be right there. You know, that I think is something that we've seen a lot more. Um, throwing it back to uh, kind of MCU, just because I yeah. randomly mentioned it earlier, Black Panther, we had uh, Kill Monger as yeah. the, uh, as like um, Eric, oh, I forget his last name. Eric Killmonger. Uh, oh, Killmonger is his last name? Yeah. Okay, so. okay, sure. I think so. Yes, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to say it and take all responsibility for if that's wrong. If it's wrong, tweet at me. That's how that works. Or you could just be Alec and be comfortably Googling it as I'm monologuing and uh, buying time. Uh, Eric Stevens, born in Dijaka, is also known as Eric Killmonger. Okay, very good, very good, very good. Yeah, so people, I can't believe I messed up the name there. That's now embarrassing, but I'm going to leave it in the podcast. Of I messed up Killmonger. I called him Warmonger. That's awful. I heard Killmonger every That's single time. That's definitely, yeah. I'm going to go overdub that. Let's see. Let's, we'll definitely kill. <laughs> Killmonger. <laughs> uh, here, I'm going to take this audio clip right here. Kill. Okay, there we go. I'm going to be, I'm going to overdo that right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you like those characters that are very understandable. You like yeah. the, like, lawful neutral maybe somebody who's like this is my like actions they are going this direction because of my beliefs not necessarily because i'm looking to harm people yeah it's like i i believe that this is the way the world should be operating i will do what i have to do to achieve that goal okay and if that means i have to step on people if that means in a non-sexual fashion i was waiting uh, for it i was waiting for it (laughs) I mean, they probably do that in their free time. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna judge a kink shame here, but you know, whatever they have to do to achieve those goals is what they're gonna do. And and I think that it's interesting to dissect them as characters as well as villains. I think I just think it's super interesting. I I definitely agree. There are a lot of places where I wish there were more villains like that because mm. ultimately that is something that a lot of films see a lack of is a villain who you can understand. And ultimately, it's a flat characters, characters that are very archetypal, very non noteworthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't at least understand what they're doing, even if what they're doing isn't necessarily the right thing, or it might be an atrocity. That's something mm-hmm. I think we don't want to mix up here is people who do things according to their beliefs will commit atrocities and awful acts knowingly, but for their mm-hmm. beliefs. Mm-hmm. They believe it's justified. They believe it's justified no matter how evil or inhuman or unacceptable it is. And I think you're dead on. That is a direct distinction that needs to be made. Absolutely. 100%. So like with that, you talk about a couple of your villains. Is there anyone that you kind of want to dissect a little bit when it comes to a villain that people might know that you really appreciate that with? Ooh, 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 ooh. Villain to dissect. I think you look at somebody like... I don't know why well, I don't know why it popped into my head, but but it just did. Michael Myers. Okay, Michael seems, Myers seems we, we, you know he's the exact opposite of the villain archetype that I was talking about. It, it seems like just Saturday morning cartoon evil, and then you think about it. 
But you think about it. I also think there's something so deeply horrific about like the the home invasion, like somebody just catching on the side of your eye. Like I just Absolutely. think that's horrifying. Um, but you look at the humanistic reasons why he's doing what he's doing, no matter how flawed or evil or wrong they are, they come from a deeply human place and they're so intrinsically fractured. With Michael Myers specifically, it's like the amount of verbal, physical, and emotional abuse that that character took before becoming a serial killer on a human level, you can see where it's coming from, even if you don't think it's necessarily justified as you Uh are. Yeah. Right. I want to very quickly say we're not endorsing Michael Myers. No, (laughs) this isn't, this isn't a serial killer fan cam on TikTok. This is a, it could be, (laughs) be. (laughs) you're right. It could be. Um, But no, and I think that that's where we kind of dive into like different, uh, avenues of 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 villains like we have the kind of calculating the more force of nature like michael myers it, this begets another question okay as we this is a podcast called dice changers yes we are in the ttrpg sphere yes in written ttrpg lore who's your favorite villain that has been put out. Written TTRPG lore? Not homebrew, because I want to talk to you about that. Okay, 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 okay. Um, I'm cheating, because there was an official supplement for 5th edition made for them. My favorite villain in lore is uh, Nico Bolas from the Magic the Gathering setting. I don't know I if didn't... you're familiar with this person. This person is a, is a dragon god who, who essentially, this big thing happened um, several centuries ago called the Mending, that took away the planeswalkers, the ability to, the people who could like traverse between the planes of the universe. It took away a lot of their overpowering godlike powers, and all he wants is to go back to how he was before the Mending, and he's doing that via conquest because he feels like it's justified. That's a pretty that's a pretty fucking good example of it's pretty solid. what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty good. Now, did he murder entire planes to do so? Yes. Yeah. Did he summon every single planeswalker in the multiverse to a single planet to wage war on them to collect their own abilities and make himself into a dragon god? Yeah. Yes. But is he also really well designed in his aesthetic? Also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does his aesthetic fuck? Absolutely. Yeah, he's got he's got the drip. Therefore, he can do the evil. <laughs> villain. Okay, this is a little sidebar. If, villains have to have drip. Yeah, villains 100%. absolutely have to have drip in any genre, sci-fi, fantasy. No matter what villain you have, it has yep. to be cool and appropriate for the setting. Because mm-hmm. your players will rip them apart if they don't. Um, if you have like a nerdy little PC that is your villain, oh, your players are going to be like, oh, this guy just came to us from math camp. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've absolutely been bullied uh, because of my villain choices and the choices that those villains had made to seem more villainous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, I once had a... <laughs> um, in, in the first campaign I ran, which was years ago before I even humored the idea of, of streaming or doing any sort of content creation period uh, in this world of Ayosha that I've created, um, there's a lot of God stuff happening. And there's a, a cult of Imodius that was kind of jumping around and, and forming relationships with other uh, evil deities to kind of garner favor in that, that sphere of the world. Um, there's this serial killer who was a cultist of Asmodeus who had decapitated a man 
here's a question. When you think of decapitation, what weapons do you think of? I generally think of something with a cutting edge, but I assume you're going to go something with like a blunt force trauma because that's what this, this that's what your face is telling me right now. I, no, because the symbol of Asmodeus is like a like two or three um triangular, you know, oh, yeah. shapes. I used a trident. <laughs> okay, don't that laugh. Takes- so much effort no, to listen, behead. So- listen, stab it in, and then I'm assuming you're not like pulling it out and stabbing again. You're just twisting, maybe like oh. a twist motion. So my thought, right, was that this this person took the trident, did it, and then pushed through. So yes, you use blunt force trauma because when you essentially the, the yeah. interior part of the trident, that's. <laughs> okay, so how is this person redeemable or justifiable in any way? <laughs> oh, they're not. This person was just a monster. Oh, but okay, 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 okay. I'm okay, just okay. saying, like, we were going off of villains having oh, drip. Oh, the aesthetic. Yeah, the, the drip aesthetic, of a trident is pretty good. Um, I'll give you that. That was about 15 sessions into the campaign. 50 plus later, I was still getting shit about it. So villains have to have drip <laughs> or else you will catch hell for it for the entirety of the campaign. Um, but Nicol Bolas, that's a, that's a very good one. Okay, what about you? What's your favorite? Strahd von Zarovich. Okay. I'm kidding. Strahd, I'm kidding, I'm okay, kidding. okay, okay, okay. I was going to say, as a villain, Strahd is great. As as a person to simp over, not so much. There are people who are very sexually attracted to Strahd von Zarovich who don't realize how fucking creepy he is. But actually, he's as a villain. So gross. Yeah, when you come down to it, he's got ultimate incel energies. But those started as a very human person. Like, yeah. If, if you're not aware, Count Strahd von Zarevich is the main antagonist of several modules in Dungeons and Dragons, the most recent of which for fifth edition was the Curse of Strahd module. Mm. Um, he's a vampire who lives in his realm of Barovia, who likes to essentially chase after the same woman who keeps reincarnating in his country over and over and over again. The reason he became a vampire is because he was in love with a woman and that woman did not love him. He, she loved his brother instead. So, of course, the obvious answer was to become a vampire and murder them both <laughs> on their wedding day and then resurrect as a vampire and then ultimately ah. rule over where both their souls are trapped for the next millennia. Uh, <laughs> that's the long and the short of Strahd von Zarevich. Um, canonically, in like D&D lore, I love... Uh, the Red Wizards of Thay. Oh yeah, as well they as seek intelligence, the Cult yo. of the Dragon. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I love their dynamic. I think like the seeking of knowledge is super cool, and the way that like, okay, we can see that this world is nothing without dragons, and the the what they bring to this sphere of natural life. Fuck it, let's bring Tiamat back. Let's let's just give them the world that they so eagerly deserve. Um, and I, I just think that's super because you can see that these are people that are zealot zealous about this they want this and they think it's for the right reasons and they pursue it and i i i think they're fucking rad and the drip and i and the drip and like this is also because one of the things too is like we do a lot of our conversations are focused around fantasy because we do dungeons and dragons as our Mm -hmm. primary ttrpg Mm -hmm. but this is ultimately true for any ttrpg like um translating like science fiction things or science fantasy things into uh into kind of more ttrpg space because there are things like starfinder and things like that that you can play um there's your book club 
Oh, there's your book club. We played a modern game. Oh, actually, to introduce real quick, um, I've had both Crail and Parker on, and we've talked before about this game that I was in uh, a couple months ago called Yearbook Club, where it was a bunch of us in a modern setting who played teenagers who got superpowers, and it was very like Cthulian horror, very like uh, like you know, it was a very fun game. Obviously, we don't support where that genre started, but we like playing in it. HP Lovecraft. Fun is a monster absolute yes, monster uh, out there if you don't think hp lovecraft is a monster google the name of his cat but uh yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. it's fucking, fucking awful human being atrocious yeah but he didn't unfortunately create one of the coolest genres to play in mm-hmm. um yeah. but this kind of extends everywhere so one of the things with like science uh fantasy and science fiction places is we talk about very interesting villains um i believe it was the first aliens f- alien film um, there is an android who is essentially tas- tasked by the greater corporation with bringing the alien that exists on the ship back to the mm-hmm. company because they want to research it and ultimately make money off of it. The android himself, I think, is redeemable in a way that he never really had a choice. It was always programmed into him. It was one of those things where you could see what his motivations were without necessarily hating him. And there's arguably a lack of autonomy there. Correct. Um, I think villains like that are very interesting in any setting. Um, it doesn't necessarily have, just have to be fantasy. Yeah, 100%. I, oh, God, what am I thinking about now? Because I, I, I wouldn't categorize it as a villain, but, like, you look at Ex Machina. Yeah, 100%. Oh, my I God, yes. I wouldn't categorize her as a villain, but. Committed she, horrible atrocities against Committed me. horrible atrocities. For understandable reasons. For very understandable um, reasons. I I'm a big fan of of FromSoft and like those games <laughs> we've been playing a lot of Elden Ring recently. I I've just gotten into um, Elden Ring and I'm only like nine hours in and I'm in hell and I love it there. I, it's amazing. Uh, I I think my favorite game from that company is Bloodborne, and it perfectly mixes the uh, aesthetics of Victorian Gothic horror and Lovecraftian cosmic horror. Um, there is this idea of re- reaching an enlightened state of mind and these sort of monstrous villains that like uh, these old ones, these great old ones that want nothing more than to just exist. And the unfortunate nature of it is that they have to do these horrific things to, to exist. So I love being able to kind of look at that and, and empathize in a way with these creatures that see us as humans as nothing more than like amoeba, like these small, insignificant beings. Um, have I- you read the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher? I have not. Okay, so there is a character um, that exists in those books who is introduced to us as an antagonist very early on. The main character, Harry Dresden, is a wizard who works with the White Council, who like essentially kind of rules wizard kind and makes all the laws for them. But someone we're introduced to as a minor antagonist, not the main antagonist of basically any stories, is this character named Morgan. Now, Morgan is a, I forget the term in the, uh, a a warden, that is the term, uh, for the White Council, which is these people who wear gray cloaks and they are wizards, but they also have magically imbued swords that essentially makes them mage hunters for if people break the laws of magic. Morgan um, is introduced to us as an antagonist because in the past, Wizard Dresden has been forced to break the laws of magic okay um he's currently okay with the council he's on probation but that's how he's introduced to us 
And one of the reasons that I really love Morgan is Morgan has an extreme disdain for Harry Dresden because he regularly works around the rules of the council. But Morgan himself is not an evil man. He is cruel in places and he commits acts that are considered awful. But it is ultimately from a place of he genuinely believes he's protecting order in the universe and stopping evil beings from coming to power. One of the things we see Morgan do is execute a young man who is um, who is uh, essentially accused of being a warlock, someone who has broken the laws of magic and gone rogue, um, which I find funny when translating that to Dungeons and Dragons with warlocks as what they are there. Very good. But. Morgan is absolutely a paladin type. He's lawful neutral, and he is an antagonist. He's a villain that we see for many books as a minor antagonist until he eventually gets a story of his own later on. Um, that I think is one of the more compelling villains in that story. And and he is only an antagonist slash villain because he is in opposition to the written protagonist of that book. I, from how you're explaining it and how I'm envisioning it, I feel like those positions could easily be switched and we could be rooting for that, for this character as opposed to Harry Dresden. Yes. One of the interesting things about the Dresden files is even though you personally, as the reader love Dresden, because you have access to his internal monologue, most people in the universe hate him. Um, and he is the villain of a lot of people's stories. Um, so I find that interplay very interesting. Um, with us kind of having talked about like pop culture and D and D and stuff, how do we translate that into D and D and the greater TTRPG space? Kind of when we're looking at building our games, building our villains, things like that. I think the the important place to start is a is a very trusting and open sense of communication with you and your players. As a GM, as a DM, as a a player, kind of uh, I know I do it the. Uh, RPG consent checklist. Yes, absolutely. It's needed for every game. I've implemented it into to, you know, non-stream games um, and seeing where comforts begin and end, right? And making sure I have a, a good sense of what I can bring to the table in the realms of villainy. I don't want to bring in somebody who is completely monstrous that it, if that's going to affect somebody negatively in, in the brain, like that's, that's not what I want. So first starting off with that sense of communication and knowing what's on board, what's off board, what we can tackle, what's on that do not yeah, touch and list and moving from there. As we've covered uh, a bunch in this podcast, communication is always the first place to start, especially because yeah. as Alex saying, like, it can really change your villain, not just for the negatives of like, oh, you see it as like, oh, this is off limits, this is off limits. But instead, you get to look at your players and see what they're okay with and what they're not because mm-hmm. certain parties um, might have – one of the things that I put on a lot of my consent forms is like gaslighting and things like that is kind yeah. of off the table for a lot of people. Um but then you can then have an interesting villain in that for that party, you now know that that villain is going to completely be in charge of their own actions and they are always going to be the one who takes care of business because they're not making someone else do it for them through via manipulation or something similar, yes. which that itself kind of writes your villain for you. It's a it's a wonderful way to help define that. For sure, I completely agree. I think that after that communication aspect, which, as we both stressed and I've heard on this podcast before, is, is paramount uh, in these games, in these spaces, um, tying in a villain to an um, uh, emotionally complex and binding relationship with a player or the party as a whole is so incredibly important. Um, 
So just making sure that this isn't somebody that they can just like, there's a difference between, I think between a bad guy and a villain, right? Yes. You can walk into a town, see somebody doing something wrong, stop then, stop them, leave, and then just be done with it and never think about it again. The villain is somebody who comes back. The villain is somebody who makes you think about why you're doing what you're doing. They are a reoccurring antagonist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, figuring out a way for for them to come in, come out, but still manage to be a presence. So I do that in a lot of ways by like small correspondences between players. So if there's like a I have a villain right now who who is a very in a very high position of power within government. So sending uh, a a person with a letter or just sending a letter or casting the sending spell and being like, I see what you're doing. You have the opportunity to stop or to hear me out. It's your choice how you choose to proceed. I will proceed in kind. You know what I mean? So making sure they're a presence without making sure they're in the forefront of the narrative. Yeah. Um, for an example for that, um, in my home game right now, there is, and I can say this now because it's finally not a spoiler for my players who do also Ooh. listen to this podcast, um, there is a character by the name of Etcher who exists in my world. He is a Warforged who's been around for a few thousand years. He's a wizard, figured out how to turn his body into a Warforged. And the party is just now beginning to figure out that Etcher is kind of one of their endgame villains. Mm. Um in that he's been in the background of pretty much every narrative since our third session of he was the one who was in charge of magical education for uh, some of the friends of the party. Um, Like for example um, of my opening party, uh, one of my players, the blood hunter wrote in, and of course this is again, applicable to any number of genres. This is just specifically for fantasy um, and for D and D in general. Um, The blood hunter uh, wrote in an NPC who was the, his kind of like, who he was courting at the time, um, this wizard uh, apprentice. And I took that and I went, well, I already have these villains written. So instead of this character being her master, it's just somebody who lives at the tower with her um, Mm. at that same wizard tower Um, because there's like five or six different apprentices plus the actual wizard and now Etcher. And with Etcher, I had him appear in different sessions beforehand. I had people hear about him from multiple different sources. And it was one of those things where he was always associated with something bad, but it wasn't, mm. it wasn't until the party had to physically speak to him themselves. Did they realize he was a villain? Yes. That's always, that's always the fun, the fun shit when it comes to that is like not necessarily catching off guard, but maybe validating some of those initial ill feelings that people may have toward an NPC being like, I don't know what it is. Like this person might like be giving guy. me some. Yeah. yeah. And then somewhat validating that and, and kind of showing your hand as to what the motivations are, what they're capable of. And I think before you even begin to touch what the motivations are showing what they're capable of consistently oh, yeah. and ramping up and ramping up in a way that is respectful and not demeaning in a storytelling standpoint is incredibly important. Um, ba- kind of bouncing off that, I have this villain right now, uh, Prime Arbiter Ulister Thorn, who is a an uppity, kind of slimy political figure who has worked in tandem with these lords and ladies and uh, monarchs of the uh, very industrialized nation of Drukamesh and uh, has aided in forming 
this um, this group called the Council, um, who is just a collective of of nobility who strive on keeping their way of life by subjugating, by pushing people down, by building up their own wealth and taking away from everybody else. He's kind of uh, slithered his way into a a position of leadership. And one of the party members, uh, and this is for Insay, this has been shown on the campaign so far, um, is the, the child of a uh, low level noble in Drukamesh. And they find out that their father is a part of this um, organization and, kind of grappling with that and seeing how slimy this individual is thinking they can just take him out to find out he's a very high level spellcaster. Sounds very Grima Wormtongue. Like this is very like, I'm getting like more nobleman vibes, but it's like, that's very, very cool. And that's a very easy way to bake it in of like, because mm-hmm. I think one of the mistakes a lot of people make when designing villains is uh, thinking that they have to be like directly related to a party member, which is yes. always fun to do. There are very fun ways to do that. Um, when you ran our oh, yeah. uh, like three or four shot um, of the yearbook club, there was a character who was not necessarily our main villain, but it was the father of one of our other characters that was an antagonist to the story. Um, yes. And those can always be very fun, very impactful relationships. But I think having them related to someone that the party cares about is more impactful than having them directly related to the party. So you talk 100%. about like they, the character, their parents were the nobles. And then that person was then an antagonist to their parents and then an antagonist to the party. It mm-hmm. While you are doing the exact same thing that it, if the noble was related to the party – you are then validating the party's opinion to get involved and mm-hmm. their um, interests in the game. Because they, instead of it being, oh, well, you made a villain that's attacking my character, it's going, oh, I developed interest in this NPC and they're being messed with. Yes. Um, or I wrote exactly. this NPC into my backstory and they're being used. So I really, really like that you've used like the one degree of separation, mm-hmm. but it's still close enough to be really close to home for the party. Well, it, it, it also shakes... Uh, uh, being able to to give that layer of separation and um, kind of have these really great character characterization of who these core NPCs to these players are, have the dynamics with that villain shake the party's preconceived notions of those individuals. Yeah. So Addie, who's Stealthy Stormy's character, uh, this Blade Singer rogue uh, character, their father was this uh, stalwart confident, strong, honorable man finding out that he was anything but whilst in this organization is confusing. It's conflicting. It means that this villain, Ulister Thorne, is digging his claws deeper than the party even realizes at one point in time and is shifting how they view the world. And I think that that's an incredibly important thing uh, to implement while you're making a villain like that, especially a villain that's like long form throughout the course of a campaign. I think you're nailing something there, which is that villains should not just be an obstacle for the party to overcome, but something that shifts and shakes the narratives, even according to their decision, where they will consider this person when deciding what their next options are, even when not directly relating to that person, which I love that. 100%. Well, and, and that's that's the incredibly fun thing, right? Like, when you're building someone who who is in all in all rhyme or reason in opposition to the world and how it operates, there has to be a shift in mindset, especially with the party and how they choose to operate. So uh, there and and we have scale for that, right? So this is this is a very human villain, right? Mm-hmm. He 
is in a position of power. He wants to keep that power. He wants to keep his privilege and he will go to any length to keep that. And no matter how selfish or, or corrupt or wrong it is, it's, that's a deeply human feeling. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Every human has gotten some amount of power, whether you be a politician pushing into another nation I'm going to let that one sit there for a second. Yeah. Or, you know, you're a Karen who's gotten access to the, uh, like, neighborhood committee. Everyone has gotten some amount of power, and then they don't want to let it go. That's a problem with us as creative sometimes, where we'll be working on a project, and somebody will be like, hey, can I help? And you're like, no, I want to do it, because it's mine. I have power Get away from it. me. <laughs> um, but power is, I feel like, something that, yes, is a very negative feeling, but it is something that everyone has felt a lack or want for power once they either have it or want for it. Yeah, a hundred percent, and and I think that that translates in a really interesting way from he, from villains that are very deeply human and like it's a it's a in a street level, right? Like this is a this is a human villain that that seems attainable, right? Yeah. Uh, to when you uh, the what's shaping up to be the big kind of campaign long BBG is is Lolf, giving those human aspects to a godlike character like that. And before I dive into that, what's your favorite villain you've made for a campaign? That I've streamed, not streamed. Okay. So I've had, I've had some very, very good ones. I think one of my favorites that my party is still pissed off about is a pair of villains. Um, And this campaign will actually be wrapping up the next couple months. And these characters have already been, mostly taken care of actually they've been they've been taken care of for the for the purposes of this campaign um this was the percy jackson inspired uh campaign that i ran for about two years uh dungeons and demigods yes um there was an antagonist of season one who his name was iamis now this is an actual character in uh greek myth uh this is a child of apollo uh descendant of Mm. poseidon um, who essentially was just kind of like blessed with eternal life, minor godhood, and like the ability to communicate with birds. And I took that and I went, okay, well, this person's an immortal. So in the Percy Jackson world, that means they're definitely still around in somewhere in America. Uh, and <laughs> I obviously wanted a villain, right? I have a lot of villains. And the main villains of the campaign are the Ophiomachy, which is I just took a random collection of some of the biggest serpents in Greek and Roman myth and yeah. made them made them very evil and very intimidating. But Iamis essentially had a very interesting look because the party couldn't find themselves hating Iamis. And that mm. they hated him, but they couldn't find issue with what he had done because Iamis was a prophet. He was a seer. He could see the future. Um, and essentially, he, like many other seers at the time, was foreseeing the end of the world. And he went, okay, well, if I'm foreseeing the end of the world, I'm going to ally myself with the good side. Because Iamis was, not, was, was very Greek in that he had a lot of kids uh, and he had a lot of kids who had kids. Yeah. Um, his family, the Iamidae, which is not in Greek myth, but I made them for the purposes of the campaign. Um, the main one that was a villain of that group was his great granddaughter, um, Terry. She was a early twenties, like, uh, very entitled, very, very Saturday morning cartoon evil. But the reason that the party hated Terry was very different than why they hated Iamis. Terry was very much Iamis's tool who took pleasure in hurting others, um, she actually was ultimately responsible for killing one member of the party before he was later resurrected. Um, very hard to do in a Greek inspired, uh, mythology yeah. where like you have to make them escape the underworld and things like that. Um, 
But ultimately, the reason they hated Iamis is because at the time, one of the party members was also a seer who was also kind of seeing visions of the same thing. Mm. And it was one of those things where the party to this day, they only killed him a couple months ago. Uh, And they didn't actually kill him. They scattered his essence for the next couple thousand years. So he's effectively dead for a while. They hated him because they hated Terry and how cruel she was. But they also hated him because he kind of did the thing that you would do, which is protect your family and see where you go. Yeah. And that's the that's the fucking interesting thing. And I love that. That's so cool. I. Building villains for the purposes of, uh, of kind of bridging a connection with your players is, is super interesting. And I, I had the, the privilege of doing a um, a long shot with uh, some of the guests from InSave. We had uh, Parker Bliss, Blue Blue Button, and and Mr. Adam. Adam and Love all of them. They're all incredible. Please go check I, them out. Yeah, there. please. All, Absolutely you, lovely. Alec just said all of their ats. Please search them. They're amazing. I did. Um where they kind of dived into the the lull side of the narrative uh, in preparation uh, for the party, the mainline in safe party in a way to to help them. Um, so there was a lot of discovering that happened with like Lolf, um there's the idea of fate touched and and Tiamat was brought to the material plane and ruled over it for a, a vast number of years. Uh, and these first group of fate touched, which was Corallon, Lolf. Oh, I love that Tiamat plushie. Um, uh, Morden, Cord, you know, these entities, these human entities that ended up becoming deific in nature um, stopped Tiamat. Corallon is a god who is inherently selfish in my canon. However you choose to build him. I mean, I think he's self I, I, I was looking at like the base lore that exists with yeah. the way he like separated planes and shit like that for the elves. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, no, no. He's also very selfish. I would read it that way as well. Lolf was instrumental in designing the first vestiges, these deific weapons that bonded to uh, users. He wanted credit for that. He's the artisan god. He is the elven god of creation. So he betrayed his sister, banished her to the Underdark to live there forever. Not only was she completely innocent and instrumental in stopping Tiamat the first time she came to the material plane, she then became a victim to these quarry, these negative dream-eating creatures that possessed her while she was in the Underdark, which began, began to feed on her sanity Warping her world, her worldview, the way she viewed her brother, the way she viewed everything, and turned her into the creation that she is now, which is monstrous. Yeah, that's a very cool way to recontextualize the canon and kind of rewrite that for the story that you're trying to tell. And that makes a really cool series of antagonists and villains, because I assume Mm -hmm. your party originally did not know any of that about Lolf. No. And saw Lolf as a villain. And then eventually had that like realization mm-hmm. of like oh she's not evil because of like her own actions yep it, and and the fact that there's there's now this this understanding and and this is the party you know uh Parker Button and and Adam discovered you know that these quarry had sort of infiltrated and formed this underdark culture 
Lolf was almost in the back seat the entirety of the time. These quarry are essentially responsible for for creating this um, matriarchal society that's built on very horrible things. And Lolf, too, is a victim. And I think that there's a way to make these larger-than-life villains human. And I think even though Lolf has continued to do horrible things and, and will not stop doing these horrible things, there's a sense of feeling for her, wanting better for her, but knowing that, that there is, you have to stop her. Um, so I think building something like that is very fun. I think, honestly, there's a lot of parallels I see there as well as um, – and this is a kind of a touchstone I feel like a lot of people understand. In Thor Ragnarok, the character Hela, mm, yep. um, of – this was a – very similarly, a deity who was kind of written out of the main story of like she was the firstborn of Odin. She was there. Uh, even if it doesn't quite match like lore or comics, who gives a shit? It was a really well-written uh, story. Who fucking cares? Yeah. Um, with that, though, it's like the idea that like – if you suddenly bring these villains and their origin down to the level of a human and they're mm-hmm. understandable, it does not matter how horrific their actions are. People yeah. will connect to them and hate them and love them based off of their actions. Now, we've kind of talked about the villains in the space, the villains in the world, kind of what our archetypes of villains look like, things like that. How do you play a villain? Earlier, you were talking about like this very wormy, noblistic advisor sort of character. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you play that villain into either how you play them at the table or in their actions moving forward against the party that might be off screen? I think that there's a a good mix of like trying to get in this person's head and and imagine what actions they would take to further their goals, which which seems like a very simple answer, but uh, it's hard, you know. I mean, I, I, to to essentially put myself in the position of of a very influential politician. And think, how would I, what systems would I take advantage of to keep that, right? Absolutely. Um, it's difficult in that aspect. But then I also think of like, I think of it within the interpersonal relationships that have already been forged. And I let that inform decision making. So uh, the party has already did, done combat with Ulister Thorn. It didn't go well for the party. Um they were a lot lower level. It, it was a fight that they they were not meant to win by design. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was to get, kind of give them a, a look at, at at what was in their future. And now this individual is operating on the guy uh, under the the information that these three aren't really a threat. Mm-hmm. He handled them before, so he can handle them again if they show up. If they show up, he doesn't have to work as quickly as he thought he may have. And, that and so he can, can dip so his toes. Yeah. And he That's can dip so his toes cool. into a bunch of different things. And he can, you know, explore different avenues that maybe he thought he would have to throw to the wayside for time. No. He's got it. That is such a great way to really lock in the idea of this like self-centered, higher than mighty character, because you discussed them already being in a higher position of government, being this nobleman-esque advisor. Yes. Um and that really, like, I feel like that's another thing is people are always afraid that having their villains not go at the most efficient or or powerful thing that they could do is wrong. But it's actually incorrect. I think most villains 
their flaws are some of the things that make them the villains the most. So him going, yeah. oh, these people are not going to power up enough in, in time to fight me. I can take care of them is such a more interesting call than he now watches their every move yeah. and is willing is willing to kill them at any point in time. Mm-hmm. No, it, that's that's boring. And that's not how the world works. You yeah. know what I mean? Like this, the, the party at this current time is on a completely different continent. Even then, this man still has appearances to keep up. The world governments are just starting to discover that this this organization exists. And something needs to be done about it. Yep. But also, they're going off of the hearsay of a party of three adventurers. Their investigations need to be made. True change is not going to be implemented by the time this group gets back home. So I think it's interesting knowing that, like... Yes, this individual has access to the scry spell. You want to know how many times he's used it on the party? Zero. He does not see them as a threat. Why would you waste it? Yep. Why would you waste it? Um. So yeah, I think I think that that's super fun. But playing a villain's hard, man. I playing a villain is really hard. I it's a difficult mindset for me to get into. Um. Mm-hmm. And a difficult one for me to get out of. Because it's like, I don't like thinking that way. You know what I mean? I, I, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons why I tend to make my villains not Saturday morning cartoon. Because yeah. I find it I find it hard to go, what is the most horrific world-ending thing I could do to make people care? Instead, I like to make characters who are not actually villains. They're just selfish. So yes. uh, a couple of examples of things I've used in the past. Like we talk about power. Power is something that is a very easy motivator for a lot of people, but it takes a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the Red Wizards of Fae. I have a character yeah. who kind of supports that style of ideal in my home game. Uh, his mm. name is Rydell. He is a government sanctioned member of the world who is a work who like is a working magician. But he is so obsessed with finding magic that he does things that are not that are while legal, not socially acceptable. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, he wants his legacy to live on for as long as possible. So he adopts easily two to three apprentices a year um, Mm. that he is not a parent to them. He very much gives them the harshest magical education that they will ever have without being actually physically abused. Yeah. Um, because obviously there, that's a gray line in a lot of, uh, in a lot of tables, especially with like, with consent yeah. forms and things. Yes. This just happens to line up with my tables, uh, mm-hmm. uh, consent forms where like he, he is raising these people and he's not necessarily doing anything actually negative to them. They just don't have a happy childhood. Um, and that has made him already someone that the party does not like and will probably eventually put him at odds with the party and make him into a villain because he regularly does these things um, that yeah. are that are something the, the party does not approve of um, and are technically evil in nature. Yeah. I look at kind of falling back on really fun villains that uh, apply to. Uh, these kind of ideals within TTRPG spaces. Um, I don't Have you read the, the Witcher books? I've not read the books yet. I have barely started getting into the games, but I really do want to read valid. the books. The books um, are very fun. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that they're very good. Yes. There's a, there's a villainous character, which is interesting, uh, called the professor. Okay. Who is this intelligent, cunning and devious human man who gets Geralt's goat. More often than not, that's dope. And Geralt is this monster hunting, swashbuckling, badass magic slinging dude who has trouble finding this guy and stopping this guy. Because this is a man who very like 
very Lex Luthor, very Hugo Strange, like gets into Geralt's head and knows exactly what steps to take to avoid him. And I love that. I that actually that works in with – so several weeks ago, we had a Answering Reddit's Question episode that I had with Patrick, that guy, gentleman. And one what? of the questions that came up was like, well, magic items, how do I give those a party? My answer at the time was like, look for things that your party doesn't have. Mm-hmm. I think for villains, um, do the exact same thing. Look yes. at the role that is not in your party because generally speaking, that means that your party does not have a hard counter for them. So mm-hmm. for example, uh, parties without – like say a large front attacker so whether this be like in the star wars uh ttrpg whether you're not you have someone who doesn't wield a lightsaber whether that yeah. be D, you don't have somebody who wields a great sword things like that um then you're going to want to put them up against someone who is hulking and massive in their presence and because yep. that really makes it to where none of the party members feel like they are directly mirroring or could match them one of the things i've run into a lot is a lot of parties i have do not have divine casters of any kind Mm. um so i love to make villains who are lawful neutral working for a specific deity lawful neutral paladins are some of the most interesting characters you can ever have as a villain not an oathbreaker not the even though oathbreakers have their own place where they're very fun but not the saturday morning cartoon oathbreaker i'm talking someone who has rules and is very specifically going after the party for that mm-hmm, reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who's who's very much like that Dresden Files character you talked about. Not this this wholly evil individual, but somebody who is in opposition to things that are happening and pursues it to the nth degree. Always. Always. Oh, I love so it. How do you, how do you play villains? Uh, how do I play villains? So I've talked a bit before. Um, one of the things with my party is that um, the reason that Rydell and Etcher, an artificer and a wizard, are two of their main villains is because they really lack a hardcore caster. They have a sorcerer, but they mm. function more as like a death cleric. Um, I always like to play my villains in roles that are counter to what the party has. But then I always like to, and you mentioned this before a bit, I like to mm. needle my villains. I like to have villains yeah. appear easily 20 sessions before they're a problem on occasion. Um, And then when I do, I love to have villains who, and almost every villain I've done has this when they appear properly, they Mm. are in a position to where the party cannot immediately respond because there are a lot of parties who will see villain clock. That's a villain and go, okay, we need to take care of them. And they'll get two words into a sentence and the party will be like, I throw a dagger at his face. Um, there's no room so, for monologuing. <laughs> there's no room for monologuing. Yeah, yeah. So whenever I have villains, I always want them to appear as a villain for the first time in a way where the party cannot immediately respond, or if they do respond, it will be at great cost to themselves. Yep. So, for example, we talked about the Paladin character. For that character, I run that the first time you run into it. He is carrying out his law-abiding job, mm. and uh, and he is in a courtroom executing somebody that the party cares about because they broke the law. If yep. you, they're not going to respond right there. And if they do, that's at great cost to them for the mm-hmm. sorcerer characters. Like they are these. Um, uh, so for example, one of the, actually the party members who's an NPC, um, she is an antagonist to a lot of the characters. And a lot of the times when she appears, she 
says things that is very antagonistic to a lot of the party in places where the party cannot immediately respond, yes. like in the presence of her masters and things like that, people who they know are much stronger than them. Mm. Um, and this is two very different examples of like one, they can't respond because of the political reasons and one is because yeah. active flower level. So when I play villains, I find the archetype of the villain less important and more how often and in what situations you make them appear. Um, I find that much more important than sticking to a specific archetype for villains. I cannot agree more with that. I cannot agree more with that. I uh, There's an interaction with Ulister Thorne where he had heard through the grapevine that the party and, and Addy, this particular noble, was going to be in a very large city with very heavy political implications. This is a the hub of, of agricultural production in this large uh, nation. Drukamesh is a nation of city-states that are uh, split by these vast and untamed wildlands um, that, you know, the dense nature, very large bestial creatures, uh, the megafauna and, and even the plant life is quite dangerous. So he stops there and is waiting in the tavern that they walk into. And it's like, right. I don't think you're going to do anything here. You don't want to do. Yep. You know, that would yep. not end well for you. This is how this is going to work. You're going to forgo this investigation and you're going to let me do my work. That's hot. Or else okay. I'm going to make your life a living fucking nightmare. Yeah. 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 I love that style of interaction of just like, because you really get the party when you when they cannot immediately respond that is the best that's actually one of the driving that is one of the driving things about curse of strad that we talked about earlier because you you mentioned yes. enjoying uh strad von zervich as a villain the dude has programmed illusion as a spell can regularly go invisible can monologue and the party will not interact this is a great tool for for dms um if you are playing in a sci-fi setting setting up hologram calls with your villain is always a great place to be at if you're yeah. and you can do the same thing in fantasy things with spells like programmed illusion like i just said and i think that's a really great point and i think with that kind of like haunting note i think that's where we're going to go ahead and call it because this has been a wonderful conversation Bless. and we are hitting time thank we're you so much it. alec for taking the time to be on my podcast this has been so much fun thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute honor i've loved talking bad guys with you my dude I, i'm gonna be real i the reason i called time was because i looked over and went oh my god we're at 53 minutes because i haven't been looking at the time because this is I haven't super awesome. <laughs> um yeah, thank you so much for coming and being on my podcast. Real quick, once again, can you tell everyone <clears throat> any projects that you're on, anywhere they can find you, anything at all to get them to come talk to your beautiful face or listen to your awesome DMing? Hi, everybody. My name is Alec. Once again, or Community DM, my pronouns are he, him. You can find me all over the internet at Community DM, where I do all sorts of TTRPG adjacent content. Uh, you can see some fun clips. You can go on uh, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. EST for Int Save. Uh, we are currently uh, in the in the 40s. It is a very intrigue heavy investigative campaign we'd love to see you there uh, i do all sorts of very fun things you can see some of my homebrew creations on uh D, D beyond i do a lot of fun stuff there um and you can find me every saturday as balder metzk half orc blood hunter on twitch.tv for slash the welcome in on conundrum company um yeah and guys please go follow aaron obsidian olive on all platforms go follow the show as a mimic it's absolutely incredible they have a slew of shows that are an absolute joy to watch if you're not subscribed to dice changer if you don't have notifications on change that this is an amazing show please support this wonderful man 
All right, now I'm going to cry. I appreciate that, though. And that's that's my plug. Thank, thank you so much. So um, with that, now I have to get my bearings again after you so nice <laughs> to me. Um, so uh, with that, um, thank you so much for our wonderful uh, album art provided to us by Red Queen Hales. Thank you to our intro and outro song provided to us by Dankles. Um, you guys, this has been a wonderful podcast. If you want to hear it early, go ahead and check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Obsidian Olive, where it's available every Monday at 7 p.m. PST. Or if you want to wait for the Spotify release, go ahead and check out Spotify on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. PST. Thank you once again so much for joining us and talking about villains. And honestly, I think this probably warrants a second episode where we talk about villains more. So look for that <gasps> in the yeah! future. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Bye, Bye everybody. <laughs>